The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Pet Panorama with your host, Dr. Julie Mayer. Your pet is often referred to as your best friend. Yet when it comes to their health care, sometimes we don't understand all of the options that are available to keep them healthy and living a good quality life as long as possible. In our program, we will explain and explore the best care possible, and we invite your participation as well. Now, here is Dr. Julie Mayer. Welcome, 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 all you pet lovers. Uh, Happy Windy Friday, if you're in the valley. Um, Wind is blowing everywhere, which means dust is blowing everywhere, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today on our show. So we're going to talk about valley fever. And valley fever is a fungal infection. And we're going to go into some details, and we're even going to have a guest today, uh, Dr. Lisa Schubitz. She is an expert on this problem, and they're doing a lot of research at the University of Arizona over there in Tucson. So um, this area, the pretty much the southwest, California, Arizona, Mexico, um, we tend to have, and there's certain kinds of uh, fungal infections all over the country. But here in the Southwest, we have a different organism than, say, the Midwest and the South. And I'm going to get into some details and some technical terms um, for, you know, what these other organisms are. But pretty much they can cause just about the same symptoms, and it's a variety of symptoms, which I'll go into as well. So just some statistics. Um, It is, it's a, pretty painful and debilitating disease. Uh, Annually, there's over 2,000 serious cases and 9,000 hospitalizations, and this is uh, research on humans, and about 150 deaths. Uh, About 60,000 people are sickened each year, suffering for months. Uh, The victims with more serious cases suffer for years sometimes as well. Each year, another 1,000 patients have serious disease with no therapeutic options as the current drugs do not work for them. So, and even in the pets, um, dogs and cats, especially outdoor cats, um, can get stricken with this disease. And uh, sometimes the drugs do not work uh, for them. And I'm going to um, give you the explanation why. So, why... uh, why I know a lot about this disease is, A, we had to take it for our boards when, uh, when you're becoming a veterinarian from out of state and you're, you want to join the Arizona veterinary community. You have to take some boards, some state boards, and of course they test you on the diseases and the dangers that you will encounter in veterinary medicine um, because they need to, because you're going to see a lot of cases, and I do. And personally, 
I actually had valley fever. So I moved out here in 2010 from uh, Chicago. And um, like I said, I had to learn about it, especially in the dogs, but I didn't realize that I was going to experience it firsthand. And I did. Um, and it was definitely painful and debilitating. Um, and the natural person that I am, of course, um, I knew about the antifungals, which are like fluconazole, itraconazole, ketoconazole, because even in the Midwest, we have fungal infections as well. But I did not want to take medication, so I studied and researched and studied and I wanted to find out what would be the best natural way to try to get rid of this organism. And um, I found out a lot of great information. I've written an article about the information that I found. I give lectures on this disease and uh, based on my experience and again, the research. So I did, as far as I know, eradicate um, the organism from my body after I changed and added some things, which I'm going to get into detail. Um, the symptoms actually went away in two weeks, and I felt like a million bucks. I felt a lot better. So, and like I said, the symptoms can be, you know, in pets and in people as well. So I researched and researched and developed an article, and I'm going to kind of go over this article with you. And like I said, I give a PowerPoint presentation as well. So, as I mentioned, there's different organisms, these fungal organisms throughout the country, and they're in different zones. And, and basically, they're going to be in different areas based on the environment. So, in Arizona, um, we have, you know, dry air, it's hot, um, there's a lot of dust in Arizona, there's a lot of wind in Arizona, we have a lot of dust storms, and our species that we have here is called Coccidiodes imidis or Coccidiodes uh, posidasi. So here it's a fungus and it's, and we just call it, you know, Coxi. That is going to be a little bit different than in the Midwest, which I seen when I was a veterinarian there, Blastomycosis um, dermatitidis. So again, Similar organisms, but they're going to be found in different soils. Um, and histoplasmosis is the fun fungi that's found mainly in the south. And again, based on the soils there. So the blasto, this fungus is found in moist soil. And that's, we have a lot of moist soil over there in the Midwest, particularly where there is rotting vegetation. And, and that could just be weeds and such, trees, brush. It is most common in the central and southeastern United States. It is endemic in the Mississippi River and Ohio River basins and around the Great Lakes. And I used to live a couple of blocks from Lake Michigan. It is also frequently uh, affects hunting dogs because they're in these kind of fields, um, and especially in northwestern Wisconsin and the upper Mississippi and the Wisconsin rivers. So we have a lot of lakes and rivers in the Midwest, and of course we have the Great Lakes as well. Then, in contrast, we have what's called uh, cave disease, Darling's disease, or Ohio Valley disease, and this is caused by histoplasma capsulatum. 
It is endemic in certain areas of the United States, particularly in states bordering the Ohio River, the River Valley, and the Lower Mississippi River. It is also common in the eastern and central parts of the country. So again, just based on uh, the particular organisms will be in the particular kind of soils. And again, uh, histo is basically found um, in the south. So these organisms, again, very similar in how they infect the body, uh, the human as well as the animals, and the symptoms can be very uh, similar as well. Um, so what's interesting is the fungi, when they're in the soil, it grows as what's called a mycelium. And a mycelium is basically a mushroom. Okay, so you can have a mushroom in the soil, then that mushroom will produce spores, and then the spores will fall into the dirt or the mud, and the spores get inhaled or ingested by animals and humans. And then once it gets inside the human or the animals, the host's body temperature morphs that organism into yeast. And now the yeast can go and spread to all parts of the body. It can go anywhere. And then, of course, your symptoms are going to be based on where that yeast goes. So symptoms depend on which organ system become affected. But the major areas where it accumulates are the lungs, bones, brain, eyes, and skin. And I had that pretty much in just about all of those organs that I just mentioned. Except I don't think I had it in my bones because typically when it's in the bones, it's pretty hard uh, to get rid of. Um, and it's very painful. The bones will swell. You can see, and you know, it's hot. Um, the person or the pets will be lame. Um, and you can definitely see these lesions on x-rays. Uh, lung infections may not cause any symptoms, so you may not even know that you have this inside your body, but you'll get like flu-like symptoms sometimes, you know, lethargy, a little bit of a fever. But let's go through this list of the symptoms, and if you had any, uh, you know, of these symptoms, or if your pets have any of these symptoms, you definitely want to get into the doctors and we're going to talk about the diagnostic tests that can be performed. So, as I said, you'll have bone pain and swelling. That's a possibility. Obviously, lameness will result from that. You can have a cough and anything could cause a cough, but you know, even allergies. But again, if you put all of these symptoms together, you may actually want to, again, look into trying to get diagnostic tests for valley fever. You can have difficulty breathing. That would be expected if it's in your lungs. You can have exercise intolerance. You feel tired, fatigued. Fever. So they call it valley fever because, of course, if you have an infection, typically you will have some, some kind of fever. General discomfort, uneasiness, malaise. So you just feel almost like you have a little bit of the flu. Um, you can have joint pain, of course. Now, I've seen valley fever start in one bone and cross the joint and go into another bone. Um, you can have muscle pain, panting, um, or in our case, sweating. 
as far as humans are concerned. You can have rash, skin sores, and especially um, these sores really don't respond, you know, to to traditional treatment such as antibiotics and creams, etc. And I've seen some pets that have sores on their chest area and they're big, they're ulcerative, they're like big hot spots and um, they don't respond to any kind of medication, topical or orally. And definitely, if so if you do have a pet with a sore that is not responding to traditional medication, I definitely would think and consider that it may be valley fever. Shortness of breath. You could have a decreased appetite. Again, you feel like you have, you know, a little bit of the flu. Weight loss, definitely. Behavior changes. So the pets definitely may act sick. They'll feel sick. They may hide. They may be, you know, not in the family, you know, not around people. They may just want to be alone. You can have vision loss, and I actually have um, in my left eye, I have part of my retina that um, they think that the valley fever did get into my eye, and part of my retina did detach. Um, So I have a tad bit of vision loss in my left eye, but not enough that I have to have uh, any particular kind of procedures. So we're we're good to go there. I can still drive, which is good. Um, But... Seizures, major, major, major. This valley fever, again, this yeast, can go anywhere. And some of these symptoms, of course, will be based on where it decides to set up housekeeping, as I say. So if it gets into the central nervous system, if it gets into the brain, your pet may actually exhibit seizure activity. So... If you see any of these symptoms in your dog or your outdoor cat, then get them to the vet so that your veterinarian can run some diagnostic diagnostic tests. And these tests are going to be just general blood work because, again, they have to rule other things out um, because, as I mentioned earlier, this can look like just general flu or some other infection. Um, So they'll want to run some blood work. um, And then they... Really, if any sick pet comes in into the vet in Arizona, they should have a titer. And what the titer does is it can test for the the fungal titers, which are antibodies against the fungus. Okay, so um, that test is run. It takes about three days to get the to get the answers back, and you can have false negatives, unfortunately, with this disease. So. Sometimes, you know, just because you're negative on paper does not mean that you're not infected with this organism. So we have to pay attention to that. And sometimes we just go by signs. And if all the signs match up, then a lot of times we'll put them on the antifungals. So in addition to the fungal titers, they'll run possibly a urinalysis um, to evaluate the kidneys, the metabolism, Uh, Definitely x-rays. So if there's um, a cough, uh, definitely uh, the veterinarian will probably run some chest x-rays to see if they can see a lesion. And it it can get a little confusing because um, you can see abscesses or, you know, like it looks like a mass in the chest. And sometimes 
Um, if you see a mass in the chest, you may confuse it with either cancer or valley fever. So that's why we have to run multiple tests so that we can, again, start crossing everything off the list. So we have to be very careful with that, too. Sometimes an abdominal ultrasound will be needed. And of course, um, if there is that chronic wound that I was talking about, then um, on the skin, then a biopsy would definitely help, um, you know, to distinguish what it may be uh, versus, you know, maybe it's a allergy or something of that nature. So titers, they measure again the antibody, which are, the antibodies are fighting cells in your immune system. And so the titers are going to measure the level of these antibodies. And again, if you have a negative, that does not necessarily mean that you do not have the organism because you can get false negatives. So, again, the infection is usually confirmed with these high titers, these abnormalities on x-rays, and clinical signs definitely consistent with the fungal um, infection. So, what do we want to do? So, let's say you definitely have yourself a pet that um, looks like they do have valley fever. How do we treat it? What do we want to do? The goals of treatment are going to be you definitely need to boost the immune system. So valley fever does tend to um, invade those who are immunocompromised. Um, antifungal medications, and, you know, those are definitely prescribed. That would be typically, you know, there's itraconazole, ketoconazole. There's different kind of um, azoles, if you will. Um, and also anti-inflammatory medications because it can cause inflammation in the lungs, in the bones, in the skin. Um, so they may go on Rimadyl or even a steroid sometimes that will be prescribed. So here in Arizona, fluconazole is uh, frequently prescribed. And uh, fluconazole is very interesting. Well, all these azoles are very interesting. Um, they actually don't kill the organism per se, okay? There's such thing as fungistatic and fungicidal. Fungistatic means that it just kind of, I call it birth control. It just kind of lowers the population of the yeast, okay, of the numbers of the yeast. Whereas if it's static, if it's fungistatic, then that means it's going to or excuse me, it's, if it's fungicidal, it's going to kill the cell. If it's fungistatic, it's just going to stabilize the population, okay? So again, I call that birth control, um, which is good. We still need that because we want to lower the population so the immune system can come in and try to eradicate the, the, the organism, the infection, so that's pretty important to, to, to pay attention to. And this is why a lot of pets have to be on these antifungals for years because they don't directly kill the organism. They just decrease the population. So I want you to definitely think about that. And I'm going to get into other things that will help out. And synergistically, if we use these antifungals with other nutraceuticals, and change diet, et cetera, then what we can do is synergistically try to eradicate the organism. So it's not, um, it's not too bad that they don't kill the cells, 
but we need some help, and you definitely need a great immune system. So after the break, I'm going to go over what else we could do with these antifungals. See you soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you ever have an off day? Or is your life positive and uplifting? Making Life Brighter is a forum for positive, inspired, and contemplative thought. Showcasing experts in their fields, including authors, musicians, and artists. Your host, Winifred Adams, will bring to life topics to stimulate and make your life brighter. We want to hear from you. Be sure to tune in Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. We want to hear from you with your questions, stories, and comments. Please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Send your emails all week to Dr. Julie at PetPanorama at gmail.com. That's PetPanorama at gmail.com. Now, back to Pet Panorama. All right, welcome back, and we're talking about Valley Fever today. And um, so just as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, that the medication medications, these antifungals, um, they're fungistatic, and they're not fungicidal. Fungicidal will kill the organa- organism directly. Um, and so what we need, we definitely need a strong immune system because if we could lower the population of these yeast cells, we want the immune system to be able to see them, recognize them, and get rid of them. So they will just, again, decrease the rate of growth of the organism circulating through the, through the body, but we need to rely on that immune system. And antifungals of, that are out there, they definitely have a lot of side effects. Um, they can decrease appetite. They could cause nausea, uh, liver or kidney toxicity, um, and other complications as well. Some GI upset, definitely. Um, and since, again, these antifungals do not kill the organism, we definitely need that immune system uh, to be very, very strong. So... The holistic veterinarians can prescribe herbal supplements, homeopathic um, immune stimulants, um, antioxidants in the food that just helps with the stress of fighting illness. Um, So that's all very, very important as well is just to eat healthy, obviously, um, you know, good antioxidants, which are going to come from fruits and vegetables. That would be fantastic. But we're going to get into some foods um, that have certain um, chitinase in them that is going to be very, very uh, beneficial to uh, trying to kill the organism. So uh, what's going to help um, some of these 
there's some popular natural antifungal ingredients, and that would be coconut oil. Uh, coconut oil is fantastic. Uh, it does have caprylic acid in it, which does help um, fight the yeast organism. Uh, olive leaf extract, grapefruit seed extract. Um, there's also an herb called po diarco, and that's spelled P-A-U-D apostrophe A-R-C-O, po diarco. I also um, sometimes use that for some cancers. Um, oil of oregano, garlic. Now, garlic can be toxic to dogs and cats, but there's uh, low doses would be okay. Colloidal silver. Um, colloidal sil- silver is excellent, and uh, colloidal sur- silver can actually uh, denature enzymes involved in getting oxygen into yeast cells. So that's just another way to try to kill these cells. It's a wonderful, and it's very um, uh, colloidal silver. You could use it for a lot of other different kind of infections as well. So you want to see your uh, holistic veterinarian because, you know, a lot of these that I just mentioned are human products that you can find at your health food stores. Um, And you definitely want to talk to your holistic veterinarian about dosing. Um, Another uh, anti and again, this is all the research that I I was doing to try to um, eradicate the organism from my own body. Uh, Another antifungal approach is to kill the organism by destroying its cell wall. So the fungus has a cell wall that is made of chitin. And chitin is similar to um, some of the shells that are on insects, um, you know, their um, wings, um, their carapace, which is kind of their body, um, and actually some worms, too, have chitin in the cell wall. So there are certain common foods and nutraceuticals that have chitinase in them. And this is an enzyme that chews up the chitin. And again, the chitin is in the cell wall of the fungus. So these chitinase enzymes may actually kill the cell wall. So this hopefully would help eradicate the organism. Um, And actually what I found too is that Chitinases have been isolated from the stomach of certain mammals, including humans. So some humans actually have natural chitinase in their um, in their stomach, which would be good because if you accidentally, you know, had a spore and you swallow a spore, the chitinase could probably kill that. Um, chitinase activity can also be detected in human blood and possibly cartilage. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, And as in plant chitinases, this may be related to pathogen resistance. So if you do have chitinase in your blood or in your stomach, then that would definitely help eradicate the yeast. So here's um, some, and if you want to get a pen and paper, and you can also replay this lovely segment and uh, get out there and and go to the, get your grocery list and go to the grocery store. Um, Here are some foods that contain chitinase. And our whole theory will be, if you eat these foods, would this enzyme be able to help kill yeast organisms? Uh, Bananas, plantain, kiwi, papaya, peach, apricot, pineapples, passion fruit, potatoes, tomatoes, turnips, soybean seeds, watermelon, celery, spinach, broccoli, apples, in the squash family, pumpkin, legumes, beans, mint, 
cinnamon, and mango. So that's a lot. There's a good variety there. And, you know, some some of the pets will hopefully eat these as well. Um, or you can put them in a food processor and puree them and, you know, try to mix it in with their food and disguise it if, uh, if they won't go for it. But these are just some common things that you can find in your grocery stores. So I would definitely recommend that you, if and and just eat these in general to try to prevent any kind of infection, but also to treat it. So other complementary treatments that, that I may prescribe um, to my patients, um, in addition to the above, are acupuncture for pain. So that would really help with, especially, like I said, the bone pain. And again, they just get some malaise and lethargy and to boost the immune system. So acupuncture can actually help boost the immune system. Um, Also, uh, laser. Laser therapy is, um, um, it's not used to treat uh, valley fever lesions, but it should be. Um, And the the ultraviolet light from the laser can actually kill um, some organisms, so it can be antiseptic. Um, and a colleague of mine, doc- Dr. Thompson, she was on uh, one of the previous episodes with the Humane Society. Um, she had a patient that had valley fever in both of its um, hip sockets. So we had a patient, or she had a patient, that was perfect to conduct a study. And what she did was, is she daily did daily laser treatments in one hip of this pet, and she was able to x-ray and continue x-raying that pet, and she showed, and it was amazing to see the before and after, that, of course, the hip that was lasered definitely it, it went back to normal. And obviously, the other hip that was not laser, that one definitely still had the lesion and the bone pain. So I thought that was like the best patient to be, to be able to conduct this study. So there we have some proof right there that laser therapy can um, can definitely help decrease the infection. Um, so very, very interesting. And there's other things too um, in the homeo- homeopathic world. Um, there's such things uh, that are called no-sodes, and no-sode is a certain kind of homeopathic remedy. And homeopathy is is based on a theory that like cures like. So let's say you have a pain and a swelling and a redness, and it's you know it's on your skin and it it feels like a bee stung you. It it hurts, and again it's red, and it has a maybe a little blister in the center. Well, then, in homeopathy, in the theory is, if you gave B venom to that patient, then that lesion would go away. So, like cures like. So, no-sodes are actually um, taking diseased tissue of the organism that you want to treat. So, in other words, you can get diseased tissue from Unfortunately, you know, pets that passed away with valley fever, you can turn their tissues into a homeopathic remedy. So that tissue was invaded by valley fever, the organism, the coxie, right? And it can be made into a substance that you give orally to a patient who is infected with the same organism. 
and also you could kind of think of it as a vaccine as well. So if you do give this infected tissue, your body is going to mount antibodies against what you're giving them. And that's kind of like what a vaccine does. With a vaccine, you're giving particles of the virus that you want the body to mount an immune response to. Okay. So it's kind of like, like cures like. So you could look at vaccines kind of in a homeopathic way as well. So I thought that that was very, very interesting. Um, and there are some um, no-sodes for valley fever and, uh, again, other fungal infections. Also, um, there's new, because, you, you know, again, we have these antifungals that, again, are fungistatic and not fungicidal. So there's new um, medications out there that uh, University of uh, Arizona is looking at. And Dr. Schubitz can give us some insight on her crusade. Um, and there's a medicine called um, uh, Nicomycin K, and it actually is, it's an antibiotic with antifungal properties. And this, the Nicomycin K, can actually break up the chitin in the cell wall. So how, how fun is that? Um, and we don't know, you know, this is a new medication. Um, it's, there's a lot of research papers out there. You can go Google, Google it because it's definitely out there being looked at. And, of course, we don't know the side effects or anything at this time because um, it's not used regularly. Um, but I thought that that was kind of interesting. And so what this nicomycin is, it's a, a nucleoside peptide antibiotic, and it's produced by streptomyces species. Um, so a bacteria actually creates it. Um, it has the antifungal activities, and again, because it inhibits the synthesis of chitin. So these organisms cannot make this, their cell wall. So that's pretty interesting. And again, we talked about foods that have chitinase in them that they may possibly be able to help fight the organism by breaking up the chitin in the cell wall. So how fun is that? Um, so what's really interesting, too, the studies that they're doing on humans is that they're using this uh, nicomycin with fluconazole or itraconazole. And they have actually observed, again, eradication of um, like candida species, cryptococcus species, um, coccidiotes imidis, which is the um, organism that is what we have here in Arizona with valley fever. So it's interesting they're using it together. And then this way, if you use it together, you get this synergistic approach and maybe you can use less of the fluconazole and the itraconazole because we know that they have more, you know, they have a lot of side effects. So, uh, again, usually uh, with the liver and the kidneys. And when your pets or, your, or you are taking these antifungals, they, the uh, practitioners or the veterinarians will definitely tell you to, you know, come back and, and get some liver tests or kidney tests to make sure that the, um, the, the medicine is okay and it's not destroying your organs. So, um, so that would be great 
uh, once this medication, you know, is investigated a little bit more and um, researched, if it could be used with these antifungals, then if you eradicate the organism quickly, you can also get off of those antifungals um, sooner as well. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, so that's fun. And if anybody wants to share um, any of their stories about their pets um, or the, themselves, share their experiences, let me give you the phone number here. You can call in and because uh, we want to hear you know, other people's experiences, either with medication, without, um, or uh, just what, you know, what symptoms your pet had, etc. So our number is 1-866-472-5791. So uh, definitely what I've seen, um, I, I've seen, uh, like I said, I, uh, there was a wound, and that wound was, um, it was very large and it wouldn't respond to antibiotics. Um, I've seen bone lesions and bone lesions can definitely be mistaken for cancer uh, because they look very similar on x-ray. Uh, you will see lameness. I've seen just uh, two where some pets have had uh, muscle aches and pains and it wasn't anything very specific. Um but one of the, um, and, you know, I want you to pay attention to this, too. One, one patient that I did have, it was a pet that was just tired, and it was a herding dog, and it, it you know, just wasn't, it ain't doing right, as we say. Um, and then this dog, she started to develop some uh, gastrointestinal symptoms, and with that, you know, I'm like, this is kind of interesting. You know, there's nothing in the stool. What What's going on? There's been no change in the diet, et cetera. And sure enough, she was tested um, and she came up positive for valley fever. So again, especially our pets, you know, they're close to the ground. They're, they're playing outside. They're um, inhaling, they're eating the dust sometimes, they're inhaling these spores, and so they can ingest them. Um, obviously, it could get into the lungs, and then again, once it's inside the body and it turns into this yeast, then it can go anywhere. So it was very interesting, and when she was treated with uh, you know, some of these supplements and with the antifungals, she definitely responded very well to, um, uh, to, to the antifungals and to the treatment. So, so we're going to talk a little bit more about valley fever when we come back after the break. Bye now. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms, and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. 
Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are tuned in to Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. We want to hear from you with your questions, stories, and comments. Please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Send your emails all week to Dr. Julie at PetPanorama at gmail.com. That's PetPanorama at gmail.com. Now, back to Pet Panorama. Welcome back, listeners. And um, I'm happy to say that we do have Dr. Lisa Schubitz with us today. And um, so we're going to get her on the air. And we're going to talk about some uh, her crusade with Valley Fever and who she is and what she's doing over at University of Arizona. Uh, welcome, Dr. Schubitz. Hi, how are you? Thank good, you. Good. It's nice to hear your voice. Nice to hear yours too. So, so tell the, tell our listeners uh, who you are and and what you're up to. So I am a veterinarian that works for the Valley Fever Center for Excellence in Tucson, Arizona, at the University of Arizona, and I've been working in valley fever research for just about 20 years now Wow! and do a combination of uh, clinical care one afternoon a week and research the rest of the time, which gives me the advantage of being able to bring some of the research to bear on this disease in dogs. Wow, that's awesome. So what? Um, so you mentioned the Valley Fever Center for Excellence, and wh- so what is what's the mission? What what do, what what is this organization? So the mission of the Valley the Valley Fever Center for Excellence was formed in 1995, and its mission is to promote excellence in the treatment of valley fever, research for the disease, and education of both healthcare professionals and uh, the public about this disease, which is fairly localized to the southwestern United States. And the, uh, the, the Valley Fever Center encompasses both human disease and animal disease. So, because the treatments are very similar, correct? They are similar, yes. And do you see the same, for example... Uh, side effects with uh, human and animals as well with some of the um, antifungals. Yes. Okay. Similar side effects, okay. and then there are a little, a few weird ones that have shown up in animals specifically as I've worked with these drugs over the years. And what? What? Uh, can you give us a couple examples? Yes, fluconazole has a couple of oddball side effects in in dogs that. It, doesn't in humans. Specifically, it can cause dogs to drink too much water and then they pee frequently and their owners notice that. Hmm. 
or it will sometimes suddenly cause spayed female dogs to start uh, leaking urine in their beds when they're asleep. Okay. And it causes hair loss, which it also does in people. It's kind of interesting that it has huh. that similar side effect in both people and animals. So would that look like, um, you know, like a, a clumps of hair, or do, do they shed more? What, uh, what do you typically yeah. see? People notice the dog is shedding more and the coat's getting thin hmm. and it doesn't seem to grow back while they're taking that medication and it looks starts to look kind of bristly and dry and many dogs develop dandruff, which is uh, most noticeable on black dogs with relatively short hair. Right. Oh, that's interesting because, you know, I've seen some patients with, you know, that are on the antifungals and such, um, and I'll keep that in mind, definitely um, trying to help the, the clients, you know, just warn them of what the side effects may be. So that's that's good information to know. Great. We also have the side effects of those drugs listed on the Valley Fever Center for Excellence's canine dog page if anybody is it, ever needing to look those things up. Uh, and where is, do you have a website? Or where do we find yeah. that? Yes, there's a website, and it's www.vfce, for Valley Fever Center for Excellence, dot Arizona dot edu. Okay, great. That's good to know. Then our listeners can go there. So do you have, um, you know, a lot of information about the disease, uh, the symptoms, you know, all this good stuff, yes? Yes. Okay, great. The information is pretty complete. There's very little published on the subject, especially for owners of animals who are sick. And the website is a pretty good reference for what the symptoms are, where the dog's acquire the disease, what treatments are used for the disease, and the prognosis for the dog, sort of depending on what kind of disease it has and how it responds to the medication. Great. Most of the disease occurs in dogs, though it does occur in other animals. So cats, is it, so is it going to, is it mammals? Um, Or will, you know, is there reptiles? Any other species? There are rare cases in reptiles. Hmm. Most of the affected animals are, in fact, mammals, including marine mammals that live off the western coast of the United States, where the spores may be blown out over the sea. Wow. And we don't find it in birds, and we don't really understand why, but it's not ever been reported out of birds, Hmm. which is really good for the birds. Right, especially the ones out here. And it's very dusty yeah. today, that's for sure. So um, so you do some work and you t- support this mission. What, you know, what tasks do you do? I understand there's, uh, you're trying to develop a, va- a vaccine. How, how's that? How's that going? The, the vaccine development is actually going quite well. And that is one of the very primary goals of the research going on at the Valley Fever Center for Excellence right now. The work towards the canine vaccine is being funded primarily off of donations to date. Hmm. And But the ultimate goal of this vaccine is that we are able to license it for dogs, but that the success of it in dogs will also 
allow us to drive this forward to a vaccine to prevent valley fever in people as well. Wow. So we have a dual mission for our vaccine, but the dogs the dogs need this this vaccine desperately. Right. Right. It's 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 so I am it's amazing. It's amazing how many cases I see and um you know definitely what California uh Arizona, New Mexico, Mexico and, and Mexico, Texas, southern Texas, most all of southern and western Texas. Okay. And uh, within the last 10 years, they have found a hot spot in the state of Washington in the southeast corner. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe the range is expanding and the vaccine would be very useful. Indeed. So how close is how close are you? I'm sure our uh, listeners are getting excited and hoping that it's right around the corner. I tell people five to ten years. The process, the the, the science, and then the process of mm-hmm. doing the regulatory work and testing it for safety and for effectiveness in dogs is slower than I would like. Since I would like a vaccine tomorrow. Hmm. But in reality, it is going to take some years to develop this, to have it ready to sell on the market. Wow. Well, we can we can just hope that it uh, it'll help our future <laughs> pets as well, right? And yes. the humans, and and that's amazing, though. It's amazing that so. Uh, is this university the only university that is studying the vaccine and and creating the vaccine? Yes, at this time, it is the only university working on this vaccine. Nice, nice. And it's awesome that you're part of this, uh, you know, this project. That is so awesome. And so the, the, you mentioned uh, in some notes that $60 million per year um, in Arizona alone is uh, the cost of this disease. And yeah. that's... Um, I think that's very expensive. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and what's interesting, too, since I moved here in 2010, I mean, ju- I've seen just the cost of the, f- you know, fluconazole um, just I- increase like crazy. And and it's sad because some, you know, some clients can't afford long-term treatment for their pets. That's exactly right, and that's one of the, r- the really huge reasons that we need a vaccine. N- not only do dogs fail to respond to the medications, and that's true of humans as well, but some dogs are actually euthanized or given up from their home to a shelter, you know, or a rescue group for the simple reason that their poor owners cannot afford the ongoing costs of treating this disease because treatment typically takes a long time. It's frequently more than a year. And with several veterinary visits and relatively expensive tests, to be able to treat this disease would be a really huge benefit to dogs. It would prevent dogs from dying and prevent dogs from losing their homes as a result of this disease. Right, definitely. Yes, it's it's very, very sad um, how expensive uh, pharmaceuticals can be in general. But there's um, there's another... Um, compound, if you will. There's there's another medication out there. Um, is that that uh, nico, nicomycin Z? Yes. 
Nicomycin Z appears to be very effective for treating valley fever, but that drug is currently, uh, they are not able to find a commercial sponsor to continue the development of that drug because valley fever is a small market and the big pharmaceutical companies are not interested in the amount of money it would cost to license Nicomycin Z for use. Uh, for a handful of people relative to, say, a world market for the vast majority of drugs that are on the market. So, but it's a broad-spectrum antifungal, is that correct? It's a a very narrow-spectrum antifungal. It's probably limited to valley fever and probably blastomycosis, which is a disease similar to valley fever that occurs in the Mississippi and Ohio River valleys in the Midwest Right. And uh, down the middle of the United States. So because of, you know, if you look at this um, in our nation, because there's only so many states that are affected by those two organisms, then the pharmaceutical company isn't that interested because it's a small market, so to speak. That's correct. Wow. Sad fact. Sad economic fact. Wow. But this would definitely be more potent, if you will, than what we use currently, correct? It, it would be. It looks like it kills the fungus, whereas the drugs that we currently have available to us primarily slow its growth and rely on the animal's immune system to, to eradicate the infection. Right. And some of the immune systems are weak, weak and they can't quite get rid of it, which leaves the dogs on medication for long, long periods of time. And humans, you know, humans as well. They have to be... Humans also. Right. It doesn't really look that different in humans. The problems are all the same in humans and dogs. Wow, that's that's sad. That's very sad that the the pharmaceutical company will not pick this up and, um, and make it available for people and for pets. Correct. And so, um, as far as, do you recommend any other medications, or uh, I know anti-inflammatories may be beneficial as well. Is there anything else that you pair with the fluconazole, for example? We can, I, I'm big on supportive care for animals, good nutrition. Great. Um, relieving pain and inflammation can make a huge difference to how these animals feel. Right. And how well they start to recover because most of them are eating very poorly at the time of diagnosis, so they're not eating at all. So we work very hard, um, sometimes providing supplemental medication to try to get the dogs to eat or having their owners prepare special food that's very tasty. Good. To get them to to, to get them eating so they can heal. Great. And a lot of the treatments are related to that other than the antifungal medications. And we try to use the safest and and easiest on the animal medication first. And sure. if we do not get successful treatment, we can, we can go up the line with relatively more toxic or more expensive medications. But right. we try to make it as easy on the animal and the owner as we can. 
And we and I mentioned um, earlier in the show, um, you know, some immune support, uh, some herbs that can help, you know, an anti and definitely even any herbal anti-inflammatories. Because sometimes when steroids are used, then the immune system can be compromised just from the steroids. Right. So it's this catch-22. Um, but if we try to go as natural and eat healthy, um, we can support the body and support the immune system. So, Lisa, I really appreciate you um, coming on and talking with us today and letting us know that you're out there fighting this crusade. And, um, and thank you so much for your support and for doing a lot of that research, especially for that vaccine. So that looks great for the future. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to you in this setting. Yes, and uh, I'll probably see you around the agility field sometime as well. Okay. All right. Good, All right. Good luck. Th- thank you. Thank you. So, bye bye now. So uh, there we have it, uh, Dr. Schubitz and uh, www.vfce.arizona.edu. And um, if you go to her website, as she said, there's a lot of information there and um, a lot that we talked about today. But uh, you can get some insight. And if you have anyone that you know who um, wants to contribute some, make some donations to her mission, that would be awesome, too, to share the love. So um, I hope you all learned a lot today on Valley Fever because it's very windy outside. And like I said, this is the perfect time for the spores to um, to be spread all over Arizona. Also, if you do have construction in your area, too, you know, look around. Um, with construction, obviously, the dirt gets d- dug up. Um, the wind blows the spores and the dirt around, and nobody is safe. Nobody is safe out there. Uh, you have to open your doors and you know to come and go, so that dust and uh, spores, the particles, will get in your house as well. Um, so you know, be very, very careful. And of course, dogs and cats are very close to the dirt, so. They definitely themselves, they will um, inhale those spores. They can also eat the spores accidentally. It could be on their, you know, toys that are outside, etc. So um, thank you for listening and stay tuned uh, next week. We're going to talk about some health issues and how we can solve those naturally. So have a great weekend, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you for being a part of Pet Panorama this week. Be sure to join Dr. Julie Mayer for another edition next Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now, enjoy the weekend with your best friend.